Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I'm the host of the show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders themselves and experts in the field of self-leadership, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Well, hello again and welcome to the Legendary Leaders podcast. Today, I have Joe and Wertham here with me for you. And man, that's going to be quite an episode. I promise you that we are talking for quite a long time about equity, diversity and inclusion, a topic that's really dear to my heart, but uh, very, very dear to Joanne's heart. And you will hear it in her passion and her excitement, in her energy in this conversation. It's uh, really wonderful also to talk to someone who has experienced challenges with regards to equity, diversity and inclusion from early days on growing up in Louisiana in an uh, African-American family and understanding perhaps or learning to understand what it means to feel either uh, really, really included and as a part of a community, or in her case, also to have some experiences throughout the career and education where she may have wondered why she isn't able to speak up about certain topics of challenges, despite the fact that they don't feel right. right? And she has used her experiences to um, write a book, which is called EDI is the New Plaque, where she highlights a lot of her stories, those very challenging experiences in order to help others create and increase the awareness when it comes to the ED&I journey. So Joanne uh, is a seasoned international thought leader who uses insight from lived experiences along with her background in education, healthcare, business, and risk management to create novel approaches to today's most critical workplace concerns. And with over 20 years of experience, as well as a Master of Science in Nursing Education and a Juris Doctorate, Joanne has presented and consulted for such prestigious groups as the Institute of Healthcare Improvement and Yale Health. And she was also a consultant and contributor for the American Society of Healthcare Risk Management Human Capital Playbook. Her new book, as I said, entitled EDNI is the New Black, Lead the Market with diverse teams. And if you want to know why it is the new plaque and why she chose this title and much, much more about EDI, then now is the time to tune in, tune in and to truly enjoy this conversation. Speak to you again in a moment. Well, today I'm so delighted to have another guest here on the show. Her name is Joanne Wortham. Hello. Good morning to you. Hi, Kathleen. So happy to be here with you this morning. 
Oh, I'm very happy to have you here. I was very excited about this call. It's such a fantastic connection when we when we talked first. And actually, a former colleague of mine who became a friend, he is working in a very big global organization and he has just taken up a new role. And he WhatsApped me from New York this um, week. And I said, oh, what are you doing there? And he said, oh, I'm signing my new contract, yada, yada, yada. So, so what are you doing now? Well, I'm becoming the lead for all the diversity and inclusion uh, measures in, in the organization. I will be leading on all the initiatives. And I'm like, oh, that's a big job. Yes. So what is it you're going to do? And he said, yeah, well, really, really make sure people feel included, but also given uh, get in a sense of diversity. We started chatting a little bit about it, and I told him right away about you and that we are recording this episode, and he's got to listen to it, and once it has been published and shared the book with him, and so on and so forth. And and obviously, we then started chatting about it, and a lot of the topics were around what are the expectations from the organization versus what's his real belief. EDI means, stands for, and requires. And there was, and you can imagine, quite a bit of a disconnect, i.e. we need to put it on our agenda versus what impact does it really have on the people and what is the change opportunity here to make right. people people feel there's a proper sense of belonging, really. Right. So uh, I thought it, it, this conversation couldn't happen at a more timely manner. So EDI Perfect. is the new plaque. That is the book you have written. Congratulations to it. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. What motivated you to write this book? I have just for a long time, a very long time, and, and I began this journey. I, I was laughing because somebody asked me about, when did you begin this journey? And I just let them know, hey, I was put on this road. I just didn't actually begin this journey. I kind of was born into this, if you will. And I think I didn't even think it was a journey. It was just life for me. It was just the normality of how things were. I grew up in the South and equity, diversity and inclusion was just not a thing uh, that was occurring there uh, in Louisiana. And so I, I grew up wanting equality, equity, diversity, uh, inclusion. I kind of started looking at it from a different light, though, once I was in the in the industry, different industries, and that was uh, higher education, that was healthcare, that was business. I've done quite a bit in my life. Law, I have a, a law degree. Yeah. And I kept thinking, gosh, they're missing out on a lot of opportunities to really know how to do the work in a different way. I felt like they weren't taking advantage of a diverse workforce. Like, what does that even mean? How can we take advantage of that in terms of not just product, consumer, and service, but also take advantage of actually helping people because we spend a lot of our lifetime at work. We do. One third of our life we spend at work. And so this human capital, this human capital, I felt like they weren't really taking advantage of that and pushing for products and services and knowing how to do the work, looking at diversity to help them to do that. So I know that from a traditional standpoint, and I'm all for this, I'm all for this. From a traditional standpoint, we all know what is morally right. We should be inclusive. We should have a diverse workforce because we're going to have a very diverse society. Here in the United States and 2022 census shows us that multiracial groups, not just uh, different races and ethnicities, but multiracial groups are up, get this Kathleen, 200%. 
people are not just saying that I'm just white or I'm just black or I'm just Asian. They're saying they're multiracial. And so I'm saying if this is going to be our consumer base, how are we going to change what is going on in our organizations to welcome in not just this consumer base, but also these are going to be our employees. So how are we going to make our work environments work for them? Because the better that we make our work environments, the better we're going to do in terms of consumer relations, products, services, and what have you. So I just felt like we're doing it the old traditional way. And the old traditional way is let's count. Let's count how many women we have. Yes. Let's count how, how many Black people. Let's count how many Asian people. Right. And we're not even I'm going to go there now. Uh, We're not even counting correctly because we're not looking at the dispersion from the top to the bottom. We're just counting. Okay, well, there's one black person here. There's two Asian people here and there's one woman there. So we're doing fine. That's not how you count. That's not how you count. It has to be an equal distribution within your organization. And I call this a tapestry. That's what it's got to be. It's got to be interwoven into everything that you do instead of counting. Because a lot of times we're doing it from a regulatory standpoint, like an EEOC type thing. Uh, we're trying to make sure that we have uh, one black person on the board, uh, one woman uh, <laughs> executive, and one, we're missing it. Women, when you bring, and this is research, when you bring women, Uh, into a boardroom, it is a proven fact that you make better decisions, not only in terms of a customer's services, you also make better decisions in terms of ethnicity, diversity, inclusion. Women, just women, just you and me, (laughs) have something to bring to the table other than I'm another gender. You really need to really kind of Uh, And I say this, we have a cash crop and we're not making any cash from it. We're really not. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to do the one, two, three, four, five thing. So when you look at how organizations are only uh, looking at this from a counting standpoint, you see all the things that they're really missing. Some organizations will go into, and I say a step above, a little bit of step above. And so they'll go into these niche type of uh, consumer places where uh, a lot of times people uh, or businesses would only cater to the majority. And then these other businesses will come along and say, okay, well, I'll make makeup for black women. And so they saw that, okay, wait, we need this niche. So then they'll hire uh, Hispanic people, black people, women, or what have you to take care of the niche. So you, you did a little bit better, but you're still not gold. They have so much more to bring to the table than a niche. How are you doing the work? Are, can they do this work a different way, a more efficient way? So what I'm always pushing when I'm consulting is you got to be a learning organization when it comes to EDI. How many ways can this help my employees and how many ways can this help the company? You got to look at it from a different, a whole different ballgame than counting people. How do women affect the work? How do women affect the delivery of the work? They think differently. Women think differently. Cultures think differently. And we need, we're missing, we're missing out on all this, the great things that we can get from this human capital. We're missing out on the great things of what you just described. And at the same time, there is a certain complexity because it's on the one hand, raising the awareness with the existing board members, for example, why it is so beneficial to have real diversity 
right. in the team. And it's not just the board, as you said, it's literally on every level in an organization. Every level. Yes. And then let's stick to the example of women without distinguishing actually the ethnical background as well, because there are differences too, right? Then you have women who tell themselves, well, I'm not ready for this job yet. Despite the right. fact that they are more than ready. And a lot of the men would actually already say, I'm going to do this. Well, I right. can't do A, B, C yet. I'm going to learn. Whereby women are still like, oh my God, I can't do A, B, C. I need to learn that lesson first, become perfect. And then I can step into it. So give the women, in this case, the belief, the confidence to go for it and right. to so, contribute to the change, right? Right. But for such a long time, now I'm going to use this word. This is a word I coined. It's called social redlining. We have really put into the consciousness of the world, if you will, that there are certain jobs that men do mm -hmm. and there are certain jobs that women do. Yeah. So I'm going to give everybody a break and say that we were taught that we, we were taught that. And that's that's kind of how our world went. We really have to be brave to step outside of that, to step outside of that narrative that was given to us. Really? Come on, Kathleen, as children. As children, we grew up thinking men are CEOs, right? Aren't men CEOs? Yeah, absolutely. And, and men are leaders. And so a lot of organizations, I, I'll say this, and, and people may disagree with this. Sometimes I just don't think it's purposeful. I, I don't think that they're purposefully saying, I don't want any women. But I think it goes back to what you just said, is that the women think I have to be perfect mm -hmm. uh, uh, as an African-American. I think that. I, I, I do that. I have to be perfect for this job. I have to make sure that I have ev all the uh, accolades. I might have to make sure I have all the education. I have to make sure this, I have to make sure that whereas men uh, from children have been taught, go for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just, absolutely. Just go for it. And we weren't taught that. So you're going to see companies who step outside the box, organizations who step outside the box and who mentor women and who mentor um, those, uh, you know, for a culturally diverse type of team, you're going to see them move ahead in the market. I'm, I'm putting a dollar on it. Okay. I'm betting a dollar on it. You're going to see them move ahead because when you think about Radio Shack, a lot of people don't know what that is, <laughs> but that was a company in the United States that really just, uh, carte blanche just had the market in terms of computers and radios. And all. But do you know someone introduced a handheld computer to them? told them about it. And then they put that to the side because they thought no one's going to buy a handheld computer. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's going to make their phone a computer? That doesn't even make any sense. Who's going to. And so now you don't know about them anymore. You don't know about Blockbuster anymore because they didn't transition. So I'm mm -hmm. saying companies have to transition to this new way of thinking. Yeah. And because we have been indoctrinated in this thing about, well, men do this and women do that. The company that breaks free the company that breaks loose and says, you know what? That's not how we're doing it. That's it. We're looking for people. <laughs> you know, they don't have to be white, black, Asian, men, women. We're looking at qualified people. And hey, when we look at these other groups that have traditionally uh, been marginalized, we're going to go for them. I think that they have something to give us. We haven't really mined it as, as we should have. And so we're going to try to mind this from this particular, and I would say this, wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience that these people have. And the, and the organization that can do it, 
just saying, the organization that can do it, they're going to be the ones that are going to be ahead. Just watch. The ones with the most diverse teams, they're going to be the ones that are, are going to be ahead in the future. Yeah. And I mean, I have, yeah. even shareholders are paying attention to the diversity now, right? Now they are. It, yep. Because they, they realized, okay, uh, actually, it is also a measurement of success nowadays. However, I come back to the awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not the first time that us in this case or other people are talking about EDI. Right. Um, you read about it a lot. You have those quote unquote initiatives in organizations, people being responsible for bringing it into the organization. Yet it hasn't quite sunk in many, many organizations, because as you said, if you just uh, get try to get the numbers sorted, but you don't really understand the why. Right. Right. It's going to be a bit difficult. So for you as a consultant supporting organizations, What's really required? How can we bring in this awareness and literally make it part of the, the DNA? Right. And so and, and I'm so glad you asked that, because a lot of times people will bring me in and what they really want is uh, they've maybe recently had something that happened and they want to make sure that people know that they're addressing the issue. Right. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But what I'm always asking them is, do you want equity, diversity and inclusion to become the tapestry that you need in terms of moving forward? Or do you just want me to help you sign, uh, you know, fill out uh, from a public relations standpoint? Do you want yeah. me to just help you with that? I'll do either. <laughs> right. But what I'm trying to tell them is that you're missing out on how your company can move ahead of the of the pack. Yeah. by waving uh, or weaving diversity into everything you do. And then they're like, well, how, how, do you, how do you do that? And this is the thing that I'm always asking them. Now, let me see your mission statement, your vision statement. And then I want to see your KPIs. I want to see how are you measuring whether or not you're being successful with equity, diversity, and inclusion? What are your KPIs look like? And they're looking at me like, well, we're not measuring it. I mean, why would we measure it? And how do you even measure it? You know, so it's getting in there to them to know what's important to them, because if it's not your mission and it's not your vision, I don't want you to waste your time. Right. Because this is going to take resources and it's going to take commitment. And what I mean by that is this. If you don't measure something, it's not important to you. We keep up with how much money we make and how much money we lose mm -hmm. because it's important to mm -hmm. us. So if you're not keeping up with your employees in terms of managers? Do you, how many women managers do you have? How many male managers do you have? What's the culture mix for your management, right? Uh, the other thing is, how are you putting forth these teams? If you have diverse teams, are you really putting them in the forefront to show how the diverse teams, I'm talking about to your board, how the diverse teams are bringing forth innovation, creativity, showing them how uh, they're boosting customer bases? Are, are you putting that forth and telling the board that? Are you telling the world that? How does your website look? I look at some of these websites and I go, I wouldn't work there. I, I mean, I just wouldn't because uh, women are not there. Minorities are not there. So you haven't even done like the basic type things. Yeah. And here's the other thing. What kind of community are you building? And they were like, what are you talking about doing I'm saying if you build a diverse community, and this is going to sound crazy, those people will take care of those people. 
They'll take care of themselves. If you build a community, yes. they'll take care of themselves. So, but it's got to start from the, it's, it's got to start from the top down and it's got to be infused. Into, and so this is what I'm saying. If you bring in diverse teams and you build those guys up and you show how they're doing and you put that out in the public, I'm talking about public relations internally and externally, put those guys in the forefront have managers reap the benefits saying that, hey, if you build a diverse team, you guys come out with a really good project. Look, everybody's getting a bonus. Everybody is getting a bonus. Pay attention to diversity. Pay attention to it. And I'll say this, appreciative inquiry is something that we have not been doing with uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion, meaning that we go run out trying to find problems. That, that's what we do. We, we, and I'm okay. I'm, I'm not against people, you know, trying to say, okay, I have a problem over here. I haven't hired enough women. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is look at the spots. There's always these positive cores, Kathleen. There's always these positive cores in, in these organizations that they don't pay any attention to. They, they, there are these managers that no one wants to leave them. Everybody's trying to get to their unit. Everybody's yeah. trying to get to their service. They have these diverse teams that are doing these wonderful things and you're not paying any attention to them. And what you should be doing instead of trying to find the problems that you have is try to find your positive core. And once you find your positive core, you ask that manager, what are you doing? You ask those folks, why are you staying? Instead of doing exit interviews and, and talking about why people left, talk to those people that are staying. Why are you here? Why are you staying? And then spread that message, spread that message and let that manager help you to move along. Oftentimes they have the solution right there under their noses. They have people that are doing the right thing, but they're just not they're not paying attention to it. This is this is money. That's not money. This is capital that we're not used to looking at. We're, we're not used to counting. This is capital. But again, the companies that can look and see look and see there's that positive core over here there's a positive core over here those are the ones who are going to get i think the most out of the new black which is diverse teams that's the new black diverse teams and people have asked me too kathleen they were like why do you say the new black i said look accountants write if you're doing really badly they write it in red but if you're doing well they write it in black so that's what i mean by that if you really want to push forward and get a great customer base and really learn how to do the work in a different way in a more efficient way you're going to do that with diverse teams that's that's the new black that's where we're headed i had to grin a few times and had a big smile on my face not because i'm nodding and smiling <laughs> because there's so much passion. If you were to sit here opposite Joanne, you would be like, goodness me, there's energy, <laughs> there's passion, there's dedication to the cause. It's unbelievable. It's just giving a lot of energy here right to me. So thank you for that. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more uh, about diverse teams because you mentioned our ethnical background, for example. We talked about gender to a certain extent. We haven't even covered the, the amount of gender differences we could discuss here. Right. Um, what, what does diversity actually entail? Because one thing I hear quite often when I work with teams uh, on diversity, equity and inclusion or equity, diversity and inclusion is, Kathleen, we shouldn't be talking about this. We have teams across the globe and we work together just fine. Right. So what about you? What's your view? Oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. I love this conversation. I knew I was going to have a great conversation with you. So <laughs> a lot of times people say that, you know, we should be colorblind, right? Everybody's the same, all right? 
right? So let's don't do that. Let's don't talk about that. Everybody's the same. Mm -hmm. So what I'm telling you right now is, and I know you know this already, everyone's not the same. Really? Everybody's, yes, Kathleen, did you know that? So (laughs) everybody's, we're all unique human beings with these divine, I'm sorry, I have to use that word, gifts. I love that word, by the way. Yeah. And so when you make us all the same and you say we're colorblind, what you do is you negate that gift. You negate the capital that I'm talking about, the human capital. You negate that because you like, let's don't talk about it because everybody's the same. And so what you're going to do when you do that is you're going to make this, I, I call it this, this blob of nothingness where everybody does the same thing, says the same thing. And look, when you teach people how to do that, they learn how to do that. You know what they do? They don't say anything anymore. Yeah. They shut up. Yeah. I was one of those people when somebody tried to, and you know what we call it sometimes? A culture fit. That's what we call it. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, Joanne fits in our culture. So that's why we picked her over this other person. But sometimes that can be misleading because what you're doing is you're just, you're making sameness. And I'm sorry, same, if you put diversity against sameness, just think about this, Kathleen. What if all your clothes were black? That's what you wore every day. A bit sad. That's sad. Isn't that sad, Kathleen? That's sad. And I'm saying, and, and does it really show your full expression of yourself? It does not. It does not. So what I'm telling them is we don't want sameness. That's old school. That's old news. What we want is a diverse group of people with different thoughts, with different ways of doing things. And then based on what we're going to do and move forward with our business, we're going to use some of those fantastic ideas that these different people from different experiences and different cultures and different genders have to say about it. That's our human capital. That's our capital. And that's what they're losing. When you do, when you lean towards sameness and comfortable, you're trying to be comfortable. Those are not the people, Kathleen, you know this, those are not the people who are going to soar ahead of the group, the people who are trying to be uh, comfortable. How do you ready yourself, though, Kathleen, for these conversations? I mean, that's the whole thing is that a lot of, you know, we're humans. All of us Mm -hmm. are humans. We don't like change. We don't like that. But I find that when the leaders take the lead, when, when they say, let's talk about it, let's do it. I mean, I, we want some diverse teams. Come on, guys, let's get together and let's all talk about how we're going to do this. I think when the leader takes that role on, I call it humble inquiry, not really knowing exactly what to do, but knowing that we do need to talk about it to move on. That's when we can really push forward. But sameness is out, Kathleen. That's out. If you want to move ahead, you're going to have to lean toward diversity. I found this fascinating actually today in a conversation with a group of leaders where we talked about the greatest teams we have ever been a part of and what made it so great, right? Yes. And one of the leaders said, well, if it's my kind of people and uh, we we got into a beautifully challenging conversations, what is my kind of people? What is that? They have the same humor. We get on, you know, we, we talk about things right away, even the kind of challenging topics, we can get into conflict. All right. But, but the, the actual conclusion was they're kind of like me. What are we missing out on, right? If they are exactly like you and they are all your kind of people, who's challenging you? Who's thinking differently? Everything that you've just said. 
No one. No one's thinking differently. And here's the thing. You know what? You're going to get the same answers you always get. Mm. Right. You're not going to get innovation. You're not going to get creativity. And when he says conflict or when that person, whoever that was, says conflict, that's what I call comfortable bargaining. (laughs) Only because I have these people that I like. Right. And who like me and we are alike. They're my friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a kind of a banter kind of thing that we have back and forth. I get that. I get that. But when I'm truly challenged, I have some people that are in my life that truly challenge me uh, in terms of and they're much different. Like they're so, you know, they're from different cultures, different gender, a couple of people, transgender. And they're in my life. And I'm sorry, Kathleen, we have these rich conversations where they challenge me and say, you know what, Joanne, I just don't agree with you about that. And we're not ugly or contentious, but they challenge me. And I look forward to those conversations, yeah, especially, you know, as I'm trying to build uh, what I'm doing. I'm just like, and, and they called me on some stuff. They were just like, you know, you know, you are not talking about that in a way that it needs to be discussed. And I, you know what I say? Cause I'm, I'm humble. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I don't understand it. Yeah. I, I might need your help with that because I, you know, I'm not transgender. So I need your help with that, right? But how would I have known, Kathleen, if I never spoke with them? If I just stuck with African-American women? I I mean, of course I'm gonna have, you know, things in common with African-American women. And of course we're gonna have a great conversation, but am I challenged, Kathleen? Am I challenged? Probably not. And, and you know what? You mentioned that uh, a few really good points there. And previously, you mentioned the word inquiry. It's the second time you used it. And I personally love the word inquiry because it means we are curious. We want to understand others. And, but also we are absolutely able and, and liberal to admit we don't know everything about the world and about people. But we have a real interest in right. what's going on. And, and I'm with you. When I talk to my transgender friends, we have conversations where I'm like, I had no idea. I haven't gotten a clue how it might be for you, what the decision was like, how you're still being treated, what's challenging for you, because I am not a transgender person. Right. right? So how would I know all of this? How and I also think for me, it has been quite a journey. And that wasn't just about transgender people. It was about any other topic where I had situations, the elephants clearly stayed in the room. I didn't know how to approach it because as a child, I was being raised with, don't be impolite. Don't be too nosy. Don't ask these questions until I learned, hey, it's an open and fair curiosity and actually gives me the chance to connect to a variety, diverse range of people and learn more about the world. Um, So why not? Why shouldn't I ask? Why can't I say to you, right, how has it been for you to grow up in Louisiana? Right. Right. As an African-American. As an African-American. Yes. Yes. And I'm glad you said that about what you were told, like, be polite. Don't do this. So here's me. This is what I'm told. Joanne, they're going to call you the N-word. This is my mother telling me this. But you are not to respond. Don't you say a word. And, of course, the first time somebody called me in the N-word, I was seven years old. And the person that called me that was seven years old. And I remember I'm not supposed to say anything uh, about that. But I'm rambunctious. So I go and I run and I tell my teacher about it. She put us both in the corner. 
So I learned don't talk. And if you talk, you might be punished mm -hmm. for talking. Mm -hmm. So that's what I learned. Now, I love my mama. Okay. I love her. There's 10 of us. You've got to love her. Okay. <laughs> five boys and five girls. You've got to love this woman. Okay. <laughs> 10 of us. But she came from like, okay, these are 1930s, 1940s when she was, you know, born and coming up and what have you. And so that could mean a death sentence. You could get lynched if you talked back to people or you didn't want to be called that word and you said something about it or you were rambunctious. So she was like, I got this rambunctious child. I got to calm her down. But for her, it was more of a life or death kind of thing because there was still lynching going on at that time. So she always taught us to be quiet. And she even told me when I was going to nursing school, she said, now, when you go to school, you've got to be quiet. You've, you can't talk a lot, Joanne, because she knew how I was. And, and she said, you have to wait till you get your hand out of the lion's mouth. And I was like, OK, I don't understand that, <laughs> but I have to be quiet. And what she meant was get your degree. And then after you get your degree, you can talk. But while you're getting your degree, don't make those people mad with you. There was 200 people or maybe like 210, 100 nurses that graduated, two were black. Uh, one girl was Creole, so she looked more white than me. And I was the only dark skinned person on mm -hmm. the floor. But she taught me this all my life to be quiet and don't say anything. So as I grew up like you, Kathleen, I had to find myself thinking to myself, why am I, wait, why am I doing that? Why am I being quiet when someone is being outwardly discriminatory toward me? Yeah. Why am I not saying anything? Why am I accepting this as the norm? It was an inquiry for me. I was just like, I don't know why I'm doing this. So Kathleen, I started writing it down. I called it my EDI diary. Every time somebody, because I was scared to say something, every time somebody did something that was out, you know, overtly discriminatory, I write it down. And I thought to myself, after I wrote it down, then I was able to say it. Then I was able to say when one day, just one day, I told somebody, don't talk to me like that. And I think that that was the day that I kind of begun the journey that I'm on now, even as a consultant, because that person even told me, Kathleen, she said, what did I say? But she was, <laughs> you know, we're still in the South, right? And she says, and this is our norm. And she says, what did I say? And I found myself not even mad at her. I was like, when you say A, B, C, and D, to me, that means this. And she said, Joanne, I'm sorry. And that was just a real change for me uh, because I thought, you know, you know what? Next time somebody says something, I'm going to tell them. Yeah. I'm not going to be, I'm not mad. I'm not going to be ugly. I'm not going to be rude. And if it's not dangerous, because sometimes things like that might be dangerous. So I'm not telling anybody to do that. But in my case, if I could feel that it wasn't going to be dangerous for me, and I knew that they probably would be accepting uh, then I would go ahead and say it. Now, now I'm kind of, I don't know, overly boisterous. So even if I think that they're not going to be good with it in a very respectful way, I tell them, you know, I tell them that that really what you just said and what you just did, that's not acceptable. Uh, and I'm not going to accept that. Uh, I can talk to executives now, you know, and ask them, honestly, do you want me to tell you the truth? If you want me to tell you the truth, I'll tell you the truth. If you just want me to help you with this public relations issue, I'll help you with that. But if you want me to stay here and help you in terms of the organization, I can do that also. So I can talk like that now, but it was a process like yours. It, it was a journey through because of what we had been taught. 
that's what we and they were doing the best they could. I'm not talking about our parents. I think they did a wonderful job. But, you know, they, they lived in a different world, Kathleen, than we live in. Oh, completely. And I'm, I'm really curious about you being a child, growing up, basically talking or telling yourself, I need to be quiet. I need to be quiet because I, I'm, I can only describe my situation. I had a real journey and it took me into my 30s to discover who I really was. And then I made it a mission to help other women to break through and identify the real you again, right? Yes. And step out of these norms and the shoulds and the musts and all of this. So I wonder how it was for you to be that girl and to talk to yourself saying, I must be quiet, I must be quiet because one thing you are not, and I mean that in the most complimentary sense is quiet. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you feel that conflict what, what was it like it was hard <laughs> I think it got better when I started writing because I, I I mean I have in I've gone through like I don't know 15 books <laughs> uh journals uh wow. when I started journaling uh, I think it really and I include that in EDI is the new black I include some of my journal entries and I I think it was so hard for me if I didn't have my writing I mean, I was going to explode. I think I just was going to explode. But I, I was trying to be an obedient child <laughs> at some point. I was trying to be an obedient child. But the emotions, capturing the emotions of, um, so Kathleen, so I was a nurse, right? So, and I love, I don't like adults. So uh, I was a pediatric nurse. And yeah. so here I am uh, as a pediatric nurse in an intensive care unit. I'm taking care of this beautiful baby that's been flown in from India uh, for us to take care of. We had like one of the world renowned specialists, right? And so I worked with him. Uh, very proud of that. Uh, he was a surgeon and I worked with him. So we go into the unit, the baby's flown in. Oh my gosh, don't cry, don't cry. Uh, the baby's yeah. flown in. I'm Free getting triggered. Time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. sorry. So uh, the baby is flown in. Dad's sitting in with the baby. I go over to get his vital signs. Dad will not let me touch the baby. And I'm like, oh, sir, I'm the nurse. You know, I'm in here. And so at first I thought he didn't understand English. He, he was from another country, right? He was from India. And I was like, well, maybe, you know. So he he wants, but then he says this, I, I want the person in charge. I was like, okay, he does speak English. So I call the charge nurse. She comes over and she's explaining to him who I am because I work with this doctor. I'm his special nurse. And so I work with him. And so I'm just there to check the baby. And he said, no, I want a good nurse. And she's like, you know, Joanne is the nurse. That, that He said, no, I want a good nurse like all the others. And he pointed in wow. the unit like all the other babies have. Now, here's the thing, Kathleen. I was the only black person in the intensive care. I've, I've been the only black person in a whole bunch of stuff. So anyway, I was the only black person in the intensive care unit. And he saw that all the other babies had white nurses. Mm -hmm. So he thought they were giving his baby a black nurse. That's not as good as the white nurse. So I'm talking about this is all over the world now. It's just, this man is from India. Okay. He's not from the United States. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Louisiana. And so they reassigned me to another baby surgeon gets mad like that's my nurse and and they're like well he doesn't want her touching the baby 
So the team, the whole team, nobody knew what to say. Nobody knew what to do. They felt bad, but nobody talked to me. Like nobody said, Joanne, are you okay? Yeah. Like this is wrong. I told the guy, look, you can't pick the color of the nurse. That's This is the nurse, <laughs> you know, um, which is what we do now. We don't make assignments based on race. That's against the law. So we don't do stuff like that now. But this is the whole thing, Kathleen. And this is what I had to tell my colleagues, now I'm comforting them. They're not comforting me. I'm comforting them. I'm saying, guys, it's okay. It, it's all right. I, this happens to me all the time. And they look at me, what do you mean all the time? I said, I get reassigned sometimes. People don't want me touching their kid because I'm black and I, I get reassigned sometimes. And the, the sorrow that you could see in their eyes, these are my colleagues. I work with them. They like, they like me. I like them. They're good nurses. I'm good nurse. I'm a good nurse. And they know that. But no one knew what to say. No one knew what to do. And I just thought to myself that day, I'm going to, instead of getting angry, instead of getting mad, I'm going to talk to them about how I feel. And I want them to talk to me about how they feel. And that's what we did. And we all got through it uh, as a team, as a community, as a team. Mm -hmm. We got through it. But I found my voice. I found my voice. This is not right. They should not be making assignments based on race. And if someone is asking us that, we need to ask them, why are you asking us that? So now we have new policies. We had new procedures now that, you know, uh, patients can't do those kinds of things. But that's what I was used to all my life is if somebody, you know, didn't want me as their nurse, then they didn't have to have me uh, as their nurse. But the other thing that we needed to look at, and it's still going on in the healthcare industry right now, is that type of stuff. Kathleen, that happens all the time here in the United States. That happens all the time. Now, more and more folks are getting sued. Organizations are getting sued for making race-based assignments and that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, addressing patients and families, that just started maybe right after George Floyd. Now, that's ridiculous, but that is the truth. Mm -hmm. We have not been addressing that whole thing with patients uh, and families making these terrible, terrible statements uh, against our employees. And so it, it goes back to what we were talking about is how important is equity, diversity, and inclusion to the organization? You know, I, I mean, and, and you know, we have a shortage of doctors and nurses all mm -hmm. over the place. Mm -hmm. We have a shortage. So are we going to let these people treat them that way? I mean, are we going to support them? Are we going to be, become this community and support them? But just, just so part of my journey was kind of going through these different experiences and really not and I don't know why I wasn't angry, Kathleen, because some people say, why weren't you angry? And I don't know that the answer to that question. All I know is I wanted to figure out why he thought that, why they didn't say anything about it, why I was feeling the way I was feeling. I really wanted to understand. Is that crazy? But I wanted to understand more about it. And I think that's what led me toward consulting mm -hmm. uh, and to talking to folks, because I can have these difficult conversations and know I'm not mad with you. I know that we all grew up a certain way. We were taught a certain thing. And until we step out of that into the real world, I call it, into what's going on right now. I was born in 1966. So a lot of different things were going on then than it's going on in 2022. And if we don't make these transitions, I keep going back to this. If we're not able to transition, we're going to be Blockbuster and Radio Shack. Just saying. Yeah, I yeah. know you don't know who those people are. <laughs> but I get the concept. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. From a business standpoint and a personal standpoint, how can you grow, Kathleen, if you can't even think of, if you can't even come to grips with, this is where you are right now? 
this is where I am right now. Yeah. You can't well, yeah. move forward. Actually, last week, you, you brought up a topic right now that weirdly enough came up for me last week. Um, I was working with some of my consulting colleagues together on, a, on a, the same project. And we went out for a dinner and a few drinks together. And we are all white, you can call us middle-aged women. However, we all lived or live abroad. One of them lived in Kenya, has two Uh, an Indian boy uh, adopted and a Kenyan boy adopted and therefore had to really learn about culture, go back there, live there. And what she says, you know, I will never be one of the, the Kenyan people, but I'm doing my best to really understand what's the background, what are the cultural norms and so on right. and so forth and to give him the same opportunity to spend as much time there as possible. But she faces a lot of situations now that I live in Singapore where she says we are being looked at as a family as if we were like in the class system, really right at the bottom. And she experiences a lot of racism because of the setup of the family, basically. Right. The other one used to live in Shanghai, Malaysia, and spent many, many years there. And the kids grew up there. Anyway, we're talking about uh, different cultures and how challenging in particular the adoption was with the kids and what I never knew and that brings me back to your hospital story just now is that in China for example there is a real class system still and I'm pretty sure China is not the only place where that exists where um, white people are at the top also Chinese then European American white people and so on and so forth and unfortunately at the bottom black people right doesn't matter where you're from but as soon as your color is black no That's, right. that's the lowest of the low. Mm-hmm. I did not know that at all, right? And I had such a massive aha moment when he now shared this story because I, I keep thinking about it and kept thinking about it since we talked about it. It's like, so what do we do, not just as nurses and doctors in this moment to build a community, what do we also do with patients to help them understand This is how we operate. This is how we see people as people, as human beings. What what are the steps there? And I appreciate in a moment like this, when your child is having surgery or there's something very serious going on, this might not be the right moment. But when is the moment that we can grasp to educate anybody around us who may show those behaviors? Right. This is so fantastic because this only happened in a lot of the healthcare facilities over the past two years. So you'll find now that a lot of them have uh, policies and what they call it is patient discriminatory conduct or discriminatory conduct events, I should say. And so so while we had not been addressing this uh, in the past, now we do address discriminatory conduct events. And what we do, because it's so hard for our employees to really, because when this happens, we call these high intensity, high stakes encounters, right? So typically when we have high intensity, high you know, stakes encounters, we give our employees what to say. And so just an example of that uh, is CPR. Like everybody knows that if you found somebody on the, on the street that we go, hey, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Call 911 or whatever, you know, your emergency number is. Does, does anybody have a defibrillator? Like we teach you what to do because not to get too technical, but you already know that our brain doesn't work well 
when we get overly excited or overly emotional, mm -hmm. uh, we go into what we call fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. So to keep our employees from doing that in emergency situations or high stakes, high intensity situations, we tell them what to do. So what most facilities are doing is they're coming up with discriminatory conduct event policies, which basically kind of outlines that if the patient gives them, they give them an algorithm. If the patient says this, if the patient says, I want uh, a, a female nurse, we need to know why the patient wants a female nurse. Now, sometimes patients want a female nurse because they have PTSD. Maybe they've been in some kind of bad type of activity or something like that. Somebody has uh, sexually abused them or something and they need a female nurse. So mm -hmm. in those types of cases, what we'll do is we'll make an exception. Sometimes we make an exception because of religion. Sometimes uh, different religions, only females can take care of people, only males can. So we'll make an exception. We make an exception in terms of the emergency room. So if somebody comes in and you're bleeding out, Kathleen, and you don't want me to touch you, if I can get a white hand, I'll get one. Now, we can't promise that. But if we can get a white hand to hold your womb, <laughs> then we'll do that. But if we can't, then you just have to take the hand that you can. But we'll tell you as soon as we can, we'll get you a person, a white person. Now, this is why we do this, because you are already dying or you are already sick. And it's an emergency situation, similar to what you were talking about with the surgery. And so it's not the time to really address it. But when you're stable, we're going to have a talk. Uh, Kathleen, we don't do that here. We don't assign based on race. Uh, we get you a competent doctor and a competent nurse. And that's all that we can promise. Now, if you would like to stay here, we would love to take care of you. But if you don't want to stay here and you would like us to assist you with transitioning out, then we will transition you out. So I think that that is a humane way of doing it because sometimes people are asking for a reason. And it can be a reason that is acceptable. Again, religion. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to say emergency. That particular thing is acceptable, but you might be a little bit out of your head. I don't know. Maybe you have dementia. I don't know. But there may be some reasons and rationales. But even after that, we do let the patient and the family know that's not we don't make race based assignments. So yeah. if you want to go somewhere else, we'll help you transition out. And so my thought with that, as more organizations lean toward that, toward addressing discriminatory conduct events, then the less it will be. But if we go continue, some organizations I see continue with that. Now, here in the United States, they're really getting sued about stuff like that because it's really illegal. But if more organizations would lean toward having the discussion, even with patients, because you know what we think? But they're sick, right? They're sick. So, I mean, they might say the N-word, right? They're sick. But we don't do that anymore, <laughs> especially for the organizations I consult with. Yeah. Because guess what? The doctors and the nurses do not need to be in a hostile work environment yeah. while they're trying to save lives, right? Absolutely. We need them on their best game. We want them to be able to take care of you. So they should not be in a hostile work environment. So that's kind of how we're looking at it now is that it needs to be addressed. And they basically organizations need to have a policy about it. They, they need to take a stand on it. And the more organizations that do that, the better off the industries will be. And you know what? The cynical part of me just thought, 
well, the hostile environment is there even without the racial issues, at least in the UK. It's a, it's a huge challenge. I'm working with quite a few nurses and the topic that I hear quite often is how often they are really badly treated by doctors, actually. So hierarchies um, oh that gosh. get in the way and status, the stress, the exhaustion, all of the emotions stepping in. And that yeah. becomes and often forms a real hostile environment, actually, I mean, in it itself. it really does. It really yeah. does. And I think the industry, too, and we're kind of behind other industry, the healthcare industries. And this is horrible because we take care of people. Seemingly, we would have, you know, be ahead. But we're kind of behind other industries there. There are still hierarchies uh, uh, in different countries. There are hierarchies even here in the United States. Lots of hierarchies. Uh, I, I will say this. Some organizations that I have worked with are trying to break that down to let them know that and you know this, when the airline industry or here in the United States, when there used to be hierarchy or, and there still is, but less in the airline industry, people died because people were afraid to tell the pilot that they were wrong. So planes of people crashed because one person was afraid to tell another person that they were wrong. And so the airline industry, the FFA stepped in and said, if you don't get it corrected, we'll get it corrected. They came in with what they call uh, teams training and what they were training folks to do was to how to how to say I'm uncomfortable what I don't believe what is going on is the right thing to do yeah. so you see that in the hospital now is that we call it um, team steps and there's a training that is going on the National Association for Healthcare Quality put this out team steps and so a lot of organizations are putting their teams through this because they see that if you can't tell the surgeon that he's going to cut off the wrong leg because you are afraid of him, then patients get hurt. Patients get hurt when we can't communicate with each other. And in any business, you're just not gonna get work done if people are not able to communicate with each other. So team steps is a way in the healthcare industry where they're teaching people where you say, um, excuse me, and we call them the three W's or whatever, or, or some people use cuss, that's, those are just acronyms. And just say, I have a problem with what you are, in a respectful way, I have a problem with what you're doing, that's not the right leg. You know, and the pay, the pay, you know what I'm saying? You got to be able to tell somebody that they're, especially in healthcare, these high stakes type of jobs, if, if the whole plane, if all the people on the plane are going to die, you need to be able to tell the uh, pilot, uh, you're at the wrong level. I don't know the words, but you know, you're at the wrong level or tell the doctor that it's supposed to be the left foot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. So, okay. Then they also need to listen. And, you know? and so you see that moving, though, in that direction in terms, well, healthcare. I'm not really sure about, you know, every industry and certainly in the airline industry. It does. It has moved uh, a little bit. The needle has moved a bit in, in that direction. And, but you see it mostly in male dominated industries and jobs. Wow. So many topics, so much passion in this room. And I've <laughs> so many questions unanswered still there's the main question I know I asked this question before but I think it would be useful as well to share it with the audience when you hear about Edie and I I at least often read about diversity equity and inclusion you clearly say the E comes first Why? yes uh, because for so long diversity has come first in terms of and when I say that I'm not against diversity I'm saying it's the counting 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 hasn't gotten us any place. Look at what's happened. Kathleen, when you look at the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, mm -hmm. less than 1% is African-American. 
okay? Less than 2% is Asian. Less than 3% is Hispanic. So how much does that leave? That's like 97% or 98% are, are white. And then if you go up a little bit in terms of breaking it down with men and women, look at this, Kathleen, 88% are men. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to me, that's what we call diversity. And it's ridiculous. It's not where it's supposed to be. We're counting. We're counting, right? So I always put equity first because you have really got to want to see, because when you talk about equity, you're talking about putting people on the same level, giving them the same opportunity, right? Seeing that they have equal value and that uh, you really want, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to leave out morals. You do want to do the right thing with equity, but for me, equity is more about putting everybody on, giving whoever it is the resources that they need so that everybody can compete fairly and, and be on the same level, right? So I start with that first. That's what you got to kind of have in your mind, that everybody needs to be given the resources that they need to get on the same level. We just talked about how women think I have to have everything before I can apply for this job. Yeah. Mentoring women is important to let them know, no, 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 no. You have to be qualified for the job, but you can do this. The same way we tell our boys and we tell our men, go for it, right? But a lot of times women would need mentoring, whereas maybe a man might not need as much mentoring. Mm -hmm. Sometimes women need sponsorship. Sometimes men might not do that. But if you're going to equal and give equity in terms of the playing field, you need to give that other person what they need to come up to where the other person is so that they both can compete on the same level. So that's why I'm always preaching equity, 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 equity and diversity. Yeah, absolutely. You need to kind of bring in, I say, all that human capital from those other cultures, other genders, other experiences. You need to bring in all that diversity and then don't get don't forget inclusion. Don't forget inclusion, because sometimes people think that diversity means inclusion. Mm -hmm. That's not what that means. Mm -hmm. I have been in a diverse environment that was not inclusive. Have you, Kathleen? I, I don't think I have been in highly diverse environments, if I think back at my career in corporate. At your career. Okay. Yeah. And, and you see that, right? You see, I, oh my gosh. I love you. I know you know I love you so much. So, <laughs> so look at how you're thinking about it. You're thinking, I love it. You're like, okay, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. I don't think that I've been in that, you know, type of environment. Yeah. But I've been in an environment before where, and I say diverse, but I was the only black person. Kathleen, can I just say that? Okay. So, <laughs> so I was the only black person there, but I didn't feel included. I mean, I, I felt like, if I'm honest, Kathleen, I felt counted. I felt like they checked the box. They checked mm -hmm. two boxes. Like I'm a male, I'm a female and I'm black. And so yeah, met the done. Quota. Check done. That that's how I didn't feel included, right? They didn't really want to know my opinion or anything like that. Or, you know, they didn't act on anything that I said, you know. And, you know, I got things like, well, that is so nice, Joanne. Thank you for sharing. You are so <laughs> articulate. You Joanne. are so articulate, Joanne. And I, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, that is so, I, I talk about that, uh, Kathleen, in the book, I talk about how somebody told me that I was articulate, and I asked her, now these are my friends I'm talking to, my colleagues, my white colleagues at work, and I, and I asked her, like, why, why, why did you say that, and she was like, well, because you are, I said, but why would you say that I was 
articulate. Do you say that about white people? Like, what? she was like, no. She's like, I'm just saying you're more articulate than most black people. And so what I really wanted to ask her was, how many black people do you know? Because <laughs> I didn't think, I really didn't think she knew a whole bunch of black people to say I'm the most articulate black person she has ever met. I'm, I was probably the only or one of a few black people. Yeah. that she knew. And I and you know what, though, and I still talk to this lady today uh, and we are still colleagues and she has thanked me more than once for telling her certain things like don't say this or, you know, say it this way or that's offensive or what have you. And I like her a lot. She likes me. I like her. But I was just telling her, I was like, when you say that I'm articulate, what are you saying is that there was no expectation for me to be articulate. Right. And so you don't ask white colleagues or say that compliment, quote unquote, compliment, air quotes, to, <laughs> to white colleagues. So you probably shouldn't say that to, to black colleagues. You can just say you did a really good job. <laughs> and, and she's wonderful, by the way. And so she was like, I, I had no idea. I had, she's funny too. I had no, I am such a, I said, no, you're not. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. You're saying that you're repeating that because you heard somebody else say it. I know that's what it is. And you thought you were complimenting me, but I'm just letting you know that that's not a compliment. And I even told her too, uh, Kathleen, this is funny. I said, you know what? I hate it when my uh, other, my uh, African-American friends and sometimes my family say, stop talking white. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, yes. Because I don't have a deep Southern accent. I never have. I don't know what happened to it, <laughs> but I, I know. And they were like, you're just trying to be white. Stop talking white. So I'm just telling her it go, it, it's on both sides. It, so what is talking white? What is that? You, do you mean correct English? Because people speak correct English of all different cultures, right? It's not talking yeah. white, but see how they hold white as the standard? White totally. is the, yeah. Yeah, is the yeah. standard. So that's black people that, that say that. So I told her that too. I said, so, you know, it, we all have to grow out of it. <laughs> that's right. we, just, we, we just have to notice it and grow out of it. So there are, there are certain models that demonstrate what inclusion actually means, right? When you can show, for example, your fullest uniqueness and you have the sense of belonging. Sounds beautiful. And I have definitely experienced the sense of belonging before. It was certainly not in a diverse team, but I had a sense of belonging, right? And inclusion. For me, the question is, given that you have worked in very diverse teams and you didn't feel included, what makes you feel truly included? How do you know this point is now there? Right, right. And so, and I will say, I, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. I have, a, I have worked in very diverse teams in the last five years, but prior mm -hmm. to that, I was the only Black person. Mm -hmm. So again, that was just, to me, a checkoff. But on the teams where in the last five years, I felt the most inclusion was that everybody had their, they were there for a reason and a rationale. We all had our different expertise. Uh, we leaned or, or gave credence to expertise, to whoever that person was, whatever their expertise was. And a lot of times we don't do that, uh, you know. Uh, so we leaned toward expertise. And then this was the, the best part was they wanted us to start trouble. Like that was the whole reason the team was together was to mix it up. And they put a product, they put a service or whatever it was in front of my team. And they were like, this needs to be better. We don't know why and we don't know how. So the approach, everybody had a different approach because we were all from different backgrounds, had different life experiences or what have you. And I know that we were very successful because 
the belonging part of it was that we protected everybody in the community. I, th I thought that was huge because nobody overstepped. It, it was kind of like, well, you know, okay, thanks for that. Uh, and, and we really appreciate what you're saying. I want, um, I'll just say, um, this is not his name, but Teak. I'll let Teak talk about that because he is our IS specialist. And so let's, him, let's let hear what he has to say, but then, you know, everybody else can chime in or what have. So it was like, everybody had their special spot. Uh, we leaned toward expertise. Everybody was really protective of the other person in that if somebody said something, because a couple of people did, you know, say a, a couple of things, everybody. And it's so funny because I had to tell people to stop pouncing. I, I was like, I'm fine. Stop pouncing. <laughs> they started laughing. Don't say that. Uh, you shouldn't say that. Joins a woman and she might get offended. I'm like, OK, calm down. Calm down. Joanne is not offended. But can you see how that just made everybody feel so comforted yeah. that everybody has your back? I have this one upstander in my life till this day. I have a meeting with him after this. And oh my gosh, I'm telling you, he's a white male. And when I tell you, Kathleen, if he sees one thing, if he suspects, he's just like, well, I'm not comfortable with that. I think that's bias. <laughs> you know, he's just like, <laughs> or it, I mean, he's wonderful. I love him. Oh my God, I love him so much. Uh, and, or he'll say, you know what? I think I've been triggered. Like he, like we, uh, I, we feel okay with saying, because sometimes I get triggered by some things that people say. And I'm thinking, I don't know if they meant that or not. I just think I'm getting triggered because of something that happened to me in the past. But look at this, Kathleen, I can say it out loud. See, I, I had never been in an environment where I could just say it out loud. Wow. And they were like, well, why, Joanne? I was like, because I was always told blah, 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 or somebody called me blah, blah, blah. I said, so I'm going to hold off on that. You guys just go ahead, you know, and do that. And let me just hold off a minute. And so when people see the leader doing that, when people see the leader doing that, then everybody in the group feels comfortable. And I go back to this group. I'll, if they can ask me to do anything and I will be right there. We are committed to each other because of the way that we support each other. And when we have to present our projects or do whatever, everybody's giving everybody the credit. It was a group. It's, it, we, we did it as a group. But, hey, I want to highlight Teak because Teak did this. And I want to highlight this person because they did that. But we really did it as a group. So people bring us together for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, executive leadership bring us all together for a reason because if they have a problem, they know that they can count on our team and they can, we can all see it from different perspectives. We just work really well together. And it's community. Kathleen, that's the key. That's we the thing, built yeah. a community. It's not just a group of people that came together. For, you know, it's not a work group. It's we came together for a particular reason and decided. And we had this discussion. This is so crazy. We had a discussion before we started that we wanted to make sure that everybody brought their authentic self to the job. We had a discussion. I had never had a discussion like that before. Uh, and I was like, and, but then everybody's like, because we are from different cultures or whatever, we still were scared. So it was the leader that had to come forth to say, okay, guys, this is what I mean by authentic self. And I just told them, this is what I mean. When I come in here, this is, this is me. This is me. And I'm going to tell you about my experiences because it's important. It's important for us to get this product out and to make sure that we do the right thing for our consumers. So everybody, I want to know everybody's experience in terms of culture, uh, family, home life, whatever it is that you think that can help us to bring this product to the consumer in its authenticity to do the best for all of our customers. And I'm telling you, I'm not bragging, but we did a really good job on a lot of products 
because we brought our authentic selves to work. And I can't say when is the last, I, it, just in the last five years, I brought my authentic self to work. Like this is authentically me with you. But uh, a lot of times I, I can't do it. I, I can't be my authentic self because I know that it's, it's not welcomed. And I was asking, or I was about to ask a question, you know, how you can make diverse teams really successful, because of the differences coming together, there's also a risk of conflict. And conflict yes. isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, right. But, but the diversity actually, first of all, to click and to really appreciate those differences and see the value in it, I think that is key. And you described so beautifully how to set the scene. Right. I, I believe there can still be conflict, first of all, because oh, we it's always, great that we talked oh about God. it. <laughs> we always have conflict. That team I'm talking about, we always have conflict. Always. They're just like, well, I don't agree. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you want for lunch? <laughs> we always agree to disagree. Right. But yes. knowing, knowing one another on a more personal level as well. And understanding yes. where people are coming from is so right? essential. Right. I asked them, how's your mom? How's your dad? For the office? Oh, my gosh. I love this office because we have all different cultures represented. You know, I, I was at the Veterans Administration and I walked down the hallway. Right. And on the wall, all I ever saw was gray haired white men in white coats. And so when you walk past that every day and you don't see women, and you don't see uh, any other culture, how do you think that makes you feel? Like that was the entrance. And the only black man has ever been up in that hallway is President Obama. Wow. Okay. Because they put the picture of the president and then they have the picture of our leadership. And there was never anybody of color. They always had these, we go to the boardroom to have meetings. You know whose pictures were on the wall? Older white males with white hair. That's who was up on the walls. And so what I appreciated about this space that I was in with this group I was telling you about was that you go in their office, they have all the pictures of their families. We encourage that. Uh, you go in the office, just sculptures by this one and that one, contemporary art. I don't like that, but anyway, contemporary art by different artists, various artists. When you walk down in the hospital where I used to work, you would see really any, any type of cultural thing, nothing. Like it was a blank slate and it was a white slate. And so you can't, and we have all these soldiers coming in of all these different diversities, mm -hmm. right? And genders, mm -hmm. and you have these, these soldiers coming in here and that's all they see, yeah. right? And I, I thought that was wrong for um, not just the employees part, but also on our customer base, these soldiers that were coming in of all these different ethnicities and they didn't see anybody from their culture on the wall. No one from their culture celebrated. Wow, they have a bad attitude. Well, maybe if you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, would help work with them, make this an inviting environment, an inclusive environment, maybe that'll change something. I don't know, but maybe it would, right? But I've worked in that type of office before. You walk in and it's just so colorful and that everybody knows that they're appreciated whenever there's a holiday. Uh, it's, everybody's appreciated. Everybody's thought about. And like I said, but that's only been in the last five years, you know, that I've, I've worked with a team like that. And I, I feel honored and blessed to have that experience because I don't think everybody, I think a lot of people don't have that experience in a lifetime. Oh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And for so many various reasons. And that's, that's why you are here in this world to, to help exactly <laughs> with that. <laughs> I, I do need to come back to one point though, and that's sure. the E, 
It's such an important point, right? Right. Because we, I think when you and I were talking a few weeks back, we were talking about the headwinds and the tailwinds. And often what we say in business language is we all have equal opportunities. I treat my people fairly and, you know, we are all the same. But as you highlighted so nicely, we are not. We are highly unique. You said we have this divine uniqueness. I love divine as a word. Um, <laughs> and, and it's really important to think about, right, where are the differences? Because just because we work in the same team, we have a similar role, doesn't mean we had the same path to get there. So I would call myself a very privileged white woman who comes from a working class family, hardworking parents, basically. Right. And I built easily a network, built confidence in myself and just experimented with my career and my life. Right. And I had some funding to do that. Now, that's not the case for everybody. And you described to me a wonderful, with the help of a wonderful story, what equity actually means and where the difference lies. Do you remember that story where in which neighborhood you grow up? Yes. To get yes. fresh fruit. Can you share yes. it, please, with the oh, audience? Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for asking that, Kathleen. So a lot of times people get equity and equality uh, mixed up. So let's just take, for instance, you have uh, you're going to give away a voucher uh, for fresh fruit to anyone who who meets you know, uh, these particular guidelines, you have a white male who meets the guidelines, you have a black female that meets the guidelines. So you give them both a voucher for fresh fruit, right? So when you give the white male the voucher for fresh fruit, he can go right there within his community, give the voucher to the little food stand folks and grab the, the fruit and go home, right? Now, the black female has the same voucher. But when she goes home to her neighborhood, it's, uh, a lot of times in, in the United States and in other places, there are food deserts where there really is no fresh fruit. She has McDonald's, Burger King, those kinds of things in her neighborhood, uh, even at her market. Uh, she really doesn't have uh, fresh fruit that are there. And some of the, uh, the markets there are really more liquor stores than markets, mm -hmm. right? So what she has to do is get on a bus and go maybe two or three blocks or or four or five blocks over to try to find some fresh fruit uh, at a stand or, or in his neighborhood, like in his market or what have you, in this other man's market. Now, sooner or later, she's going to get tired of making that trek there. Also, she has to pay money to get on the bus to go there to get the fruit, right? So while you did things equally, meaning you gave him a voucher and her a voucher, did you do things equitably, meaning that you put them on the same level to receive the same service. So the answer to that would be no, right? So how do we make that equitable? Well, maybe we can have a pop-up fruit stand in, in the food desert, right? Or maybe we can give her additional money to catch the bus, right? But those are some things where we can bring them both up to the same level to receive the same thing. We were trying to give food vouchers because we wanted them, or fruit vouchers, for, we wanted them to get fresh fruit. But if you don't bring that other person up, the person that lives in the food desert, they're not gonna be able to, to get it. So when people say, I want things to be equal, I want things to be fair, we need to rethink that because equality is not the same as equity. And so that's why it should really be equity, diversity, and inclusion. Because a lot of times people mistake that, Kathleen, and they say equality 
equality, right? Diversity and inclusion, but really it's equity because you have to bring those people up to the same, to the same level. Yeah. And a lot of times we don't recognize that people are on different levels. And I'll say this, even in an employment standpoint, Kathleen, when you look at Deloitte surveys and these other reputable surveys, you see that 62% of the of whites who are in these organizations that these particular organizations where they did this survey, 62% of them said that there is no racism. That's a high number, you know, to say that there is no institutional racism, pretty high number. Yeah. And then when you talk with black employees who say that they've experienced racism, the number is more at 70%. That's mm-hmm. a pretty high number. Mm-hmm. So you can see that these two groups of people are looking at things differently. Now, I'm not mad, and I have to keep saying that because sometimes people think, oh, gosh, you're angry, and that's why you're saying that. No, this is just, these are numbers. This is just data, right, from a reputable survey. So actually getting your employees to see that there is a difference, right, is an issue. And I've been asked before, well, how do you get people to see that there's a difference? Numbers. I have to keep emotions out of everything. Because the minute I, I and, and I know it's emotional, and yes, I do get upset. I don't want to feel you know, think I'm this cold person and I never get upset. Of course I do. But it actually doesn't help me to get things done sometimes. So I try to just do the data yeah. to say, okay, this is how many, you know, this person has got the voucher and his, this is how many fruit stands he passes, right? So he can get it. This person got the voucher and there's no fruit stands. Right now, you can make whatever, you know, uh, whatever you come to from looking at that. It looks like to me that it's inequitable. What does it look like to you? Right. Because I I have had some executives ask me that. Well, how do I because people are going to get mad like the majority folks will get they'll get mad if I say something like that. And I said, well, then don't say it. Let the data say it for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're smart people. They'll come to the same conclusion. (laughs) They're smart. And then really think about where those situations may occur in the business. You said before, right? Right. Some don't even see it. You also brought up the example of women requiring perhaps a bit more sponsorship or mentoring. That is how we can slowly but surely support them to get on an equal level, equitable level. Now, I'm saying it incorrectly. There are other examples as well, right? A lot of the people I'm working with say there's still a huge difference in everyday lives, in terms of um, in everyday life, in terms of, for example, uh, giving an opportunity for promotions for um, a full time employment. So mm-hmm. some managers might choose their fixed term employees right. over freelancers, right? External workers coming in and supporting, doing the same job. However, they are not classified as internal employees. So let's treat right. them differently. What are the opportunities you give to them? You could give to them to get to know the organization better, to right. really grow into the value system. And so that they have an opportunity as well, because they may be amazing talent who really right. want to do this job. So where do we actually still have a lack or a gap of awareness where we could clearly support just by opening our eyes and challenging ourselves? Right. And so huge, Kathleen. So huge. Thank you for saying that. I I do think that a lot of our hiring practices are just, uh, you know, in the dark ages. I, I think that a lot of times we're making one, letting one person make decisions that really a group should make. I find here in the United States and a lot of companies now are moving toward, you know, having a team 
make the decision about who's being hired and who's and who's brought on versus one person because what we found Kathleen is that one person hires themselves over and over again they hire people who look like them who act like them who have a culture fit I hate that word now uh, <laughs> with them so they just keep hiring the same person over mm -hmm. and over and over again right so the way that we hire and then we use AI sometimes to help yeah. us and assist us with hiring and what AI will do is and see people don't know this but those programs will look back at who you hired before they take that that uh, information that you put yeah. into the program and what you'll wind up doing with some of these AI programs is hiring the same person over and over and over and over again. And this is something where, you know, we might not even be taking into consideration no. the biases that are built in to our systems. Right. So, again, it is it's the leaders who step outside the box. It's the leaders who take another look, who are going to really reap the benefit from those people you're talking about in terms of human capital. It, it's the people who are going to take that extra look. And it is going to take a little extra look, leaders. It's, go, it's going to take an extra, I mean, going over to see, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing and how are we doing it? And the ones who do it, those are the ones who are going to reap the benefits. Yeah. And if I ever hear again, contract workers are not coming to the Christmas party. There are oh, no God. real employees. Come on. Come on. Oh, my gosh. Right? Oh, my gosh. That has nothing to do with inclusion. It, you include every. And look, we've had contractors on that, that team I was telling you about. People who were only going to be there with us for 90 days sometimes. And they wanted to stay. They came and asked me, join if there's ever a position. <laughs> I want to come back. So I'm saying you get like this 90 day interview. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you get a chance yeah. to see what they got. Those are the people you should be picking from. Totally. Totally. Oh my gosh. Totally. By the way, speaking about AI, I need to send you the link. A colleague of mine recommended a documentary on Netflix to me that is all about AI still actually having a bias towards color. Yes. People of color. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. So who's yes. developing those systems? <laughs> What's going White on males. There? Right? <laughs> White so, males. So, so and, and then they're getting that information out of, because uh, you have to load your information. I didn't know that. Like, it's looking at the information that you, so if you've only been hiring that way for 20 years, then the computer is learning that. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I know that if we can put a computer in a phone, like if, if we could make that device, I'm just saying, if we can make those little chips and we can do and we can send somebody to the moon and we can knock an asteroid away from the earth, I'm sorry. I believe that we can get equity, diversity, and inclusion right. We are smart as a species. And I know that we can do this. We can. If we see the benefit in it, we can do this. We can absolutely do this. So out of everything that you have now shared with us, including your passion and energy here, <laughs> what is the one top tip you want the audience to leave with? That equity, diversity, and inclusion is not a problem to be solved. It's actually an opportunity to progress, and it's an opportunity for gain. It really is. It's not a problem. Beautiful. That'd be my tip. Thank you. <laughs> Where can people find you and find out more about you and all the wonderful work you're doing? Absolutely. I'm, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, like all professionals are. Oh. And then www.culturesteps.com. 
is uh, my company, my consulting service. And so I'm just really grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you again, uh, Kathleen. And I'm hoping that, you know, the folks who listen in will actually get something out of it. That's always what I'm trying to do is to move this ahead. And we, as we move ahead as humans, like human beings, <laughs> moving, you know, yeah. moving ahead as human beings and, and learning from each other right? That's what this is all about, is learning from each other. I am so happy to be here with you today and to have had uh, this very important, I think, conversation. Oh, yes. Thank you so, so much. And Joanne is very humble here. So let me say, get the book. (laughs) EDI is the new black. Get the new book. We are going to publish, obviously, a link to the book as well in the show notes so that you can find it there. But EDI is the new plaque. You hear more stories or read more stories from Joanne that she experienced in her encounters with other human beings that to, to some extent, yeah, bring a lot of lightness and laughter in, however, in a very serious, into a very serious topic that needs to be looked at far more deeply. And as you said so nicely, from a very human perspective. So thank you so much for being here with us, for spending this time with us on your Wednesday morning. I really appreciate it. And to everybody out there, thank you so much for listening and do share all of these messages and be this ridiculously beautiful human beings to others. So um, thank you and have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you and how you're enjoying the show in general. Please do leave your review on iTunes as well. It would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Bye.